0: everybody. Good to see y'all. Hey, uh, this first week of our fall campaign, series is called Perfect Love. And through this series, my prayer is that you will experience the power of perfect love. And of course, perfect love comes from God. And so your definition of love probably needs to change. And as you get to know God, which is my prayer through this series, you'll get closer to God, that um, you'll grow in your understanding of what real love is. God's love is defined by himself. The Bible tells us that God is love. And so he is really the definition of true love. But because our view of love gets skewed by the world we live in, by our own nature, uh, we need to have it defined for us. And so the Bible does that and really the person of Jesus helped us to understand what real love is. And because of Jesus in uh, the Greek world, in Roman world where Christianity first started, They had a number of words for love in Greek, which was the common tongue spoken by everybody in the Roman language. And so um, they had a number of words like brotherly love and, and sexual love. And they had a number of words for love. But the Christians, Christianity brought a new word into the Greek language for love as defined by God. And it was agape. And it has to do, the meaning is unconditional love. And so God's love for us is unconditional. In this series... Um, we're continuing to discover perfect love. We're going through the book of 1 John. Uh, So if you want to follow along in your Bible, that's where you need to turn. But in this series, we have a number of resources for you. We've got some bookmarks out there that have a reading plan so you can be reading through uh, the book of 1 John, this letter. And so each week you'll read through what we're going to study on Sundays. And so you're prepared for that. We have life group lessons that deal with the same thing. Go through the first chapter Um, We went through the first chapter this last week so that when you come this weekend, you're ready, your your mind's already going, your heart's going, and then um, it'll maximize your learning and what God can teach you through this. Um, On the back of these cards is a memory verse. Uh, Some of you have memorized scripture before, maybe not everybody, so if you'd humor me, I'd like to do something that when I was a kid, I was kind of taught as to how to memorize verses. I have this these verses memorized, our memory verses for this series, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, but I memorized them in the King James Version, which uses kind of some weird words like these and thous and thys and and stuff, and so I'm really relearning it because we have it up on the screen here, we're going to learn it in the New Living Translation, which is a little more common English and stuff, so I'll be learning it with you, but if you'd humor me, can we say this together and then um, we'll do the next step, say it twice, okay, So here we go, say it all together. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. First John four, seven and eight. Okay, now the next slide, we're gonna take out some words. And uh, we'll keep doing this through our series. Now, if you're paying attention, it's just one word that you need to remember here. John is repetitive in his writing a lot of times. Okay, here we go. Let's say it together again. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. First John 4, 7 and 8. Good job. Give yourselves a hand. You're already memorizing scripture. Isn't that amazing? You didn't think you could. I'm going to prove to you that you can. This week, chapter one of First John, the title of the message is choosing to get close to God. Um, think about your life through your life and I got a question for you to start this message is what has been the most important relationship to you in your life most important relationship um, just a little marriage advice if you're married it better be your spouse okay don't be saying some other name okay so Just just a little helpful hint there. But um, (laughs) who's the most important relationship? Secondly, why? What made them so important to you? Why why is that relationship so important? And typically, obviously, it's because of the investment, the connection. Maybe the way in which you know them, right? The depth of that knowledge and that um, relating to each other. Have you ever had an important relationship to you um, get damaged? Where conflict or hurt, something came into that relationship and, and threatened it through conflict or hurt or something. And so you needed help maybe to try to restore it. Maybe you've needed help. Maybe some of you you have uh, gone to a, a counselor or a pastor or somebody help, help this, fix this relationship. Maybe a mediator, somebody, a mutual friend that could help try to restore the relationship. You know, relationships are difficult and because of the nature of the world we live in, they do get damaged. Even the ones that we value the most, they, they at times go through stress. And I, I know last week I told you the story of Mary and I and kind of our love story. And it's a great love story. I think it's the best. Um, if you didn't, if you weren't here last week and you'd like to hear it, go ask Mary. She loves to repeat it. Um, I'll tell you to go listen to last week's message. But, um, but, but hearing a love story is great and our love story is powerful, but you know, it hasn't always been perfect. We have gone through some rough patches, some difficult times. One of those came as a result of the pursuit of a dream that we were um, excited to pursue and we had really built in many ways our whole lives in preparation for this opportunity. And it came in the form of starting a new church and we had um, spent years Working in the church in church ministry, I felt called by God into um, vocational ministry, which is how I call it. And when I was in my mid twenties, and started in little Sergeant Evangelical Free Church, and the the pastor there made me an associate pastor, and I started to get an opportunity to work in the church. And then um, felt called, had an opportunity to go to McCook E Free Church, and I served as a youth pastor there and had a great time and grew. And then I felt called to reach a um, increasingly non-Christian culture as America had been changing and moving away from um, what I think was kind of our founding. And so I recognized the need there and God opened up an opportunity for us to move from Little McCook, Nebraska to Atlanta, Georgia. And so we made that move and spent several years there kind of doing mission work and trying to trying to get a church started. And then that season came to an end and we moved back uh, towards Nebraska. We ended up in Denver and I went to seminary and we ended up in a church that planted churches. They had done it several times. And so as I went through school, I just still felt called to that. And so we got this opportunity, um, to start, try to start a brand new church and in a a little suburb of Denver. And so this dream, this vision, this calling was a big deal to us. We kind of felt like our whole lives had led to this point. And so we, we, we invested everything into it, our entire hearts, our beings, everything we had. We moved our family uh, in Denver to this little uh, this suburb and we were there and we said, man, we gotta do this. And we went all in and uh, we had a great, great team. And it was, it was just fantastic. And um, as most dreams and things like that, there were super high highs and there were super low lows, but man, we, we just saw God work and we were... Um, Um, really involved in it, right? All in. And about halfway through that, um, I started to struggle with depression and something i had had in the past through my life, different times, but this was different. I wasn't able to do what I'd normally done to get through kind of a down spot. I could usually kind of kick out of that on my own and kind of pull myself together and go forward and get some, uh, you know, direction and go do it. And so in this season, though, I, I couldn't do that. And I was struggling and it just got worse and worse and um, pretty soon I was I, like I couldn't get out of bed I mean it was really tough and I was just confused I didn't know what to do and Mary's like oh man um, this is different you know than your typical pattern of struggle which she'd seen been together a long time she's like you better do something so I went to the doctor I told my doctor having some trouble he said oh let me why don't you try this gave me some um, samples of uh, you know antidepressant or whatever, I don't know what it was, but I took them for a little bit and it kind of helped, kicked me out of that. I was able to get back to things. And then I said, well, man, I need to, I need to do something. So I uh, kind of created a plan for myself of you know, physical stuff. And so making sure my diet was good and started training with some friends for a half marathon. I had a buddy in the church. He was one of the elders in the church. He was on my team. And so I got around him and spent some time with him. Training for a half marathon is a lot of time. And so we ran together and trained for that. We got done with that and we said, let's do a marathon. So we trained for that, did that. We said, let's do another half marathon. And then I said, I don't ever want to run again. Done. Um, kind of haven't. But I was trying to work, you know, and God did bring me out of that really dark spot and I got better. And that was good and encouraging. But then we came to um, a realization after four years that this dream and this thing that we had put everything in on, it just wasn't going to last and so we, we had to close the doors. And um, that was difficult for me. I found myself in, again, a really tough spot. I didn't quite know what was going on. I wasn't depressed, but I was, uh, I was having trouble. And I discovered, well, looking back on it, I was going through the process of grieving, right? When you have a loss in your life, you go through grieving process. And, and it involves a lot of emotions and a lot of things. And one of the things it can involve is kind of feeling numb and uh, disoriented. And so when I... Not feeling great, I tend to pull back i 'm telling you way too much about myself, but I tend to pull back I think to myself, "I can fix this i 'll deal with this i don 't really want to talk to anybody I want to share my feelings and stuff with others, so I just kind of go i 'll do and so the problem is when you 're married and you kind of pull back into yourself, that affects your marriage right and so mary 's like, hey, this isn 't okay." <laughs> you're in this marriage, we're in this together, come on. And so I was struggling. So she said, we need to get some help. And so she got us to a counselor and and he was trying to help us. And one of the things he told us in the middle of that was that, hey guys, if you allow it, going through uh, loss and grief and, and tragedy, if you will, in your life can really draw you closer to each other. You can be more intimate. You can know each other at a deeper level. Then if you, you know, everything was fine and everything was great. And so we struggled with that, but we kind of said, okay, that's good. And, and so over a period of time, we, uh, we found that to be true. Certainly now looking back on it, it's very true. But I started to realize over time, I got a job selling stuff and driving all over the state and um, had a lot of windshield time. And so God started to work on me and started to think through stuff. And I realized, man, I'm kind of angry at God, right? How did you let this happen? I leveraged everything for this dream, right? And so he and I had to work through that. Um, he did a lot of talking. I did a lot of listening. And yet um, there was healing that came through that and, and healing the, with my relationship with God helped me heal um, heal in our in our marriage, right? You know, the Bible tells us that there is a very important relationship that we have or are supposed to have that we enter this world and that relationship is damaged, it's really broken. And that is our relationship to God. We are supposed to be connected to God intimately, deeply. In fact, you and I were created with a spirit that was literally made to commune with God. That's what it's supposed to do. It's a part of us, so we're physical, we're also spiritual, right? So we have two aspects to us. We have a physical uh, uh, part of our lives, and then we have a spiritual part that we're supposed to have. But that spiritual aspect, because we come into the world fallen and in sin, that connection to God isn't possible because our spirits are literally dead. The Bible says they're dead. It's not alive. And so we don't have this connection. And so everyone comes into the world this way because of Adam and Eve, who originally were connected to God. God created them. They walked with God in the Garden of Eden. He came and interacted with them. It was like they were friends. But then they decided to follow their own way, listen to the devil's temptation and they ate the fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they brought a curse upon themselves and upon the entire human race. And so this disconnect exists. We see it in the Old Testament, a struggle for, to connect with God. If you read the book of Job, which is kind of a story of the human existence, right? How life goes for us. Job's really struggling because he's going through suffering and he wants to talk to God about it. But he knows he can't go to God because he's fearful of God. And so he asks in the end of verse, uh, chapter 9, he says, we need a mediator between humans and God. And of course, God had an answer to that. He had a plan for it. Even before Adam and Eve sinned, he had a mediator plan. And the Bible tells us that mediator is Jesus. First Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. And so Jesus comes into our world from heaven. He's God. He is placed by God, by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary, a virgin. He grows from being in her, he grows a human body. And so Jesus is born the God-man, the mediator. He can be the go-between. He'll help us connect to God. And that's exactly what he does. He goes through this life. And he reveals to us who God is. He teaches us. He he communicates. He interacts with us like God does. So people get a sense of who God is through Jesus. And then ultimately we know he goes to the cross and he dies. Why? Well, because the sin that separates us from God needs to be taken care of. And so Jesus comes to rescue the human race, to fix the problem, to reconnect us, or to make it possible for us to be reconnected to God. John, who's our writer He's the author here. Of course, the Holy Spirit is breathing through John. But John writes as an apostle, as an evangelist, as a teacher, and he is going to reaffirm to his audience who Jesus is. And so the thing that we need to realize as we begin this chapter is a profound truth, but we can miss it sometimes. I don't always think about it, but if you're watching like The Chosen, you get to see it, right? When we get to watch on film Jesus interacting as a human being, it's like, oh yeah, He was a real man and he had real friends and he really knew people. And so John writes from this this posture is that John actually knew Jesus. And so he gives this testimony. Start reading in verse one of 1 John one, follow along as I read. This is what it says. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes. And touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one. Who is life itself. Was revealed to us. And we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you. That he is the one. Who is eternal life. He was with the father. And then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us, a relationship with us through this connection that comes through Jesus. And our fellowship, he says, our fellowship, meaning he and the apostles, the ones teaching, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share in our joy. John knew Jesus. He walked with him. He talked with him. He was taught by him. He watched Jesus do miracles and do ministry and and help people and connect with people. He watched the way in which Jesus interacted with people and he confirms to us by his testimony, hey, Jesus, he came from heaven. He really is God. And yet he really was a man as well. And so he's this connection. He's this mediator that we need to fix our relationship with God. Um, when we don't know Jesus and we haven't met him yet, then typically how we get introduced to Jesus is through other people who know him, people who are disciples of Jesus. They know him. And so we start by just interacting with them and listening to them and asking questions and seeing Jesus in their lives. And that kind of helps us realize and recognize that he's real. Because remember, our spirits are dead and so we don't just have this natural ability to connect with Jesus. Um, initially, we need help. And so human beings, followers of Jesus, do that for us. And John, the apostle here, the disciple, he's helping do that for his audience and reminding them of the important things. Meeting Jesus is essential if you are to become a follower of Jesus. You have to meet him. You have to have an, uh, an, an encounter with him. You have to experience him, okay? Okay. I firmly believe that. I I really don't know anybody that seriously is following Jesus and growing in him that hasn't had an encounter, that doesn't know him, have fellowship with him, right? That relationship. And so John is really pointing to the importance of that. There was a study that Mary and I did years ago when we first got married called Experiencing God. And in Experiencing God, a guy by the name of Henry Blackaby writes about how we do experience God and how do we walk through life with him. And he covers a lot of really great things, but one of the things he does is how do you know when it's God speaking to you? Because you can ask and should ask, Jesus, I want to meet you. I need to have an encounter with you. I want to talk to you. But how do you know when it's God answering that? Because we don't necessarily know. We, don't, we, don't, we need some guidance in it if we're going to really identify him. In other words, I know a lot of people that identify God's voice as their feelings they feel something, they say that's the Holy Spirit or that's God. Well, there are cults that do the same thing. And uh, actually, I think when God speaks to us, it can be emotional, but it also might not be, to be honest. I mean, there'll be emotion involved, but it'll be very cognitive. You'll recognize intellectually some very important things because our feelings can lead us the wrong direction. And I see that in kind of the faith of a lot of people, when it's based on emotion, my relationship with God is my emotions and that's how I know he's there and that he's talking to me. Really, honestly, a lot of times they get led astray to do things that God would never want them to do because their feelings can actually lead them to do those things instead of God himself. And so it's really important that we know how to recognize God when he comes and speaks to us and we have that encounter. And so Henry Blackaby gives us four indicators, four kind of ways to understand and define and be sure that it's God. And he uses the example from Exodus 3 of Moses, who God appeared to in in the form of a burning bush. And so he just takes those principles. And uh, God's probably not going to appear to you in a burning bush. okay? Because, as we learned from the first principle, when God does speak to you, it will be unique to you. God appeared to Moses, spoke to Moses in a way that Moses could relate to and that he needed really to recognize. The bush is burning and Moses has to go check it out, right? God will pull you in to an encounter and it will be unique to you. Next, he will identify himself. With Moses, God said, um, you know, Moses hears a voice, who is this? And God identified himself using the name that his ancestors had been given um, For God, I am that I am. And so he knew, right? Intellectually, he was able to identify this as God. He's identified himself. And thirdly, you will understand what God is saying. If there's confusion, okay, as a result of um, you're trying to figure out what God's saying and you're trying to understand and you think God's speaking to you, if there's confusion involved, then I would kind of caution you as to listening to that because confusion, in my experience throughout my life, Comes from the enemy, not from God. God actually is very clear and usually gives clarity, and so his his uh, his interaction with you, you'll understand. Okay, and then lastly, the encounter with God is having Him speak to you, and again, that may not be real emotional. You may have some emotion after He speaks to you. Okay, it probably will be very emotional, but but it isn't just your emotion that means God's talking to you, and so. I think that could be helpful. It's helped me throughout my life to kind of identify God's voice. I've told you guys this before, but honestly, when I know God's speaking to me and pushing me in a direction, I usually don't feel a lot of peace. I don't feel a lot of positivity. I usually am afraid and resistant. And the emotion in me is not always or usually even great. And so that's why I think we need to be careful of emotion. So hopefully those guidelines maybe will help you identify God's voice and, and uh, you need to know that because you need to meet Jesus. John knew Jesus. He touched him. He saw him do miracles. Again, we can't do that because Jesus has gone back to heaven. But John talks about fellowship with Jesus and with the Father. And that's a relationship. That's a connection where we're able to relate to him. And so how do we do that? And how does that happen? And I think we need to look at that next. John addresses that. He says, um, once you understand that Jesus is real and you ask him, right, I want to meet you, I want to interact with you, the next thing you need to understand is that encounter, you can identify it, it's also going to involve something that can be kind of scary and intimidating, and that is that it will always involve 100% truth, because Jesus is truth, God is truth. And so to encounter him is to feel incredibly drawn in and and, uh, accepted and loved and cared for. That's part of the encounter with Jesus. You'll feel that and you'll recognize it, but you'll also have to deal with the truth. And that's the truth about yourself in relation to God. And so the next thing we see in this passage, the only way to get close to God, and you've got to choose to get close to him. You've got to be open to that. Okay. Saying, God, prove yourself to me. I've heard lots of people say, God, prove you exist. That's a defiant, arrogant prove to me. Jesus was asked to do miracles to prove that he was God. And he said, no, I'm not a magician. I'm not here to do what you want. You don't get to control the situation, right? Sometimes we come with that arrogance and pride. No, no, no. I'm talking about a humble desire to know God. Jesus, are you there? I need to know. I want to know for sure. Doubt is a normal part of getting to know God and getting close to him because Again, we don't understand the spiritual realm. And is Jesus real can be a good question that we should ask. We don't want to follow just anybody. And so we want to know that Jesus exists and that what he has to say is true. And that can be confirmed to us. And we need to meet him as a part of that confirmation. But here's the deal. John goes on to talk about the posture that we have to have if we're going to encounter Jesus and get to know him and get close to him. Next, what he communicates to us in this chapter is that the only way to get close to God is to be transparent. Let's read in verse five, continue reading. He says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. So we got the message from Jesus. We're now going to tell you. Um, God is light. When you think about light, I like to substitute the word truth. God is light, and there is no darkness. No deception, no lies in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, we have that connection to God, that intimacy with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus' interactions always involve the truth, and we have to be transparent and humble if we're going to experience him and have that encounter. Now, having that encounter, our reaction to that truth can vary, and we see those interactions that Jesus had with people. One of them that I really like is in John chapter 4, and it's with a woman at a well. And uh, of course, you probably know a little bit of the story, but he, Jesus is traveling through Samaria with his disciples and um, full of Samaritans. And Samaritans were the offspring of Jewish people that through, um, when they were um, taken into captivity, exile in Babylon, some of them had intermarried and had children. And the Samaritans were the offspring of the Jews who had intermarried with the Gentiles, which you were not supposed to do. And so they were kind of outcasts. They were allowed to live in Israel. They had an inheritance to the land, but they were segregated to a particular area geographically and they didn't get to go worship in Jerusalem. And so they had consequences, sort of punishment to that sin that they were a part of. And so they didn't get the same interaction with God. They didn't feel the same interaction with God. And so Jesus traveling through Samaria, he stops at a village, Sychar, I believe it was, and he says, um, he sits down at a well. And he sends his disciples in to get lunch, go into McDonald's, get some food, or wherever. But it's better than McDonald's, huh? And then. Uh, while they're gone getting lunch, here comes a woman with a jar to get some water. And Jesus has an interaction with her, and, uh, and it's kind of cool. At first, he just talks to her, and she's like, whoa, you're a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan woman. What are you talking to me for? And they get past that. They start talking about water. He asks her for a drink. She's whatever. And then it gets to, if you really knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink, and I would give you living water. And you'd never thirst again. And she kind of goes, oh, give me some of that water. That'd be great. And then Jesus jumps from that embrace, that kind of pull you in, that love and acceptance. Here's a guy that shouldn't be talking to me. And she just felt that warmth. She's drawn in. She wants to interact with him. And then comes the truth. And Jesus says, okay, yeah, I'll give you some of that water. Why don't you go get your husband? And she goes, oh, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, that's a true statement. You've had five. And the man you're with now, you're not even married to. Boom. Well, she knows the law. She knows what's right. And so the truth has been brought and shined on her life. Now there's two reactions to that. One is to run and hide. The other is a sense of relief. And she clearly feels the sense of relief. She's like, oh, you must be a prophet. Oh, I need to know more. And she's drawn in by that truth shining on her life, and by the end of it, she's going into the village. You need to go talk to this guy. He told me everything I ever did. He knows everything about you, and he still wants to talk to you. He still wants a relationship with you, and that's Jesus, because he didn't come to condemn and judge us. He came with love and grace and mercy, and he offers forgiveness to us, but we've got to be transparent. We've got to come with transparency. We've got to put down the pride. we got to put down the ego and what's true is that it is a relief and I see it happen all the time with people that when we come into the light we come into the truth before God and oftentimes that involves other people too that there's a sense of a weight being taken off my back because this woman and this is what sin's like she's in a cycle of behavior you know maybe she didn't have a great relationship with her dad I don't know but she's looking for love and she keeps trying men, another one. Maybe this one didn't work. Maybe I can find it with the next guy. And she's kind of living for that shallow level of existence called happiness. She just wants to be happy. It's not bad to want to be happy, but there's way more to life than happiness, but she's kind of there. So she just keeps jumping. That didn't work. Let me try another one. She gets through five guys. She's got to be getting pretty discouraged and hopeless. And then she goes, well, I won't get married this time, but I'll live with a guy. How do I live without men? You kind of need them. She didn't have a real great way to support herself probably. So I'm just saying a cycle of behavior and she was tired and she was beat up. And that's what sin does to us. And here comes Jesus, the truth and an opportunity to get out of that cycle and get healing and get forgiveness and get restored. And she can't stay away from it. When we experience that real love of God and we have an encounter with him in it, it draws us in. Now again, some people went away frustrated, went away hurt. They didn't want to do what Jesus asked of them in order to encounter him. That truth was too much. And so it can happen. But a lot of times when we come with honesty and transparency and we're ready, then we respond and we're pulled in, we're drawn in. And so we, we confess our sins and we say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Please come in and heal me. And, and Jesus does. He comes in and he restores. He, he brings to life that spirit, that part of us that's dead. He resurrects it, right? Being born again, it's renewed. And he awakens it and gives life to it. So now I can connect with him. I can have that fellowship with him. But now I get to follow him and live my life out. And uh, what I find is that John addresses next, if we want to stay close to God... That's another issue. It's one thing to get close and to come to him, but see if we want to continue to walk with him and stay close to him and have that life that he offers. What John addresses next is also true, and that is being transparent is the only way to stay close to God. Verse eight, he says, if we claim to be without sin, remember last week we talked about Nicodemus, a religious leader, a really good man. According to the law, a really good man and Jesus says you haven't repented yet you have sin in your life you're not a good man and so if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us we're not fooling anybody else and certainly not god if i think i'm a good person and i'm going to get to heaven because i'm a good person see that's that that lie that deception it's self-deception if you ask anybody else, they'll point out your faults. <laughs> but sometimes we get to think in that. So anyway, he goes on in verse nine. If we confess our sins, confession is agreement. It's agreeing with God. His standard is the right standard. I don't set the standard, he does. I don't get to negotiate with him about what right and wrong is. I don't get to control my relationship with him. He defines it, he's God. So I gotta confess, which is agree. Confess our sins. He is faithful and just, meaning he will do it every time. You can count on it. Like the sun's gonna come up tomorrow. It's even more dependable than that. That he is faithful and just and will forgive. He'll forgive us our sins. And what? And purify us from all unrighteousness. There's a purification that happens when we confess. Number 10, uh, verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Transparency is required to come to God And to get close to him, it's also required to stay close to him. And and so Jesus requires that. And one of the ways that Jesus ensures that we remain transparent, gives us that opportunity, is through the church, the relationships in the church. See, though we're connected to God and we have fellowship with him, really what helps us continue to grow and mature is our relationships with other people who are connected to God. John talks about it in this passage, that fellowship with each other. That's that deep connection that we can have with other believers and that we're helping each other grow and we're helping each other get to maturity. And and Jesus really presented this in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 when he said to his disciples, his last commandment to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel, right? Make disciples. Make disciples. Well, that's helping bring people to the point where they can put their faith and trust in Jesus and ask for his forgiveness and get close to God. So that was the first thing. Then he says, baptize them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in the early church, baptism was the entry point into the church. Like you got baptized, you publicly declared, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I believe in him, I'm following him. And that's what you had to do to get into the church, right? And so now they're in the church. And when you're in the church, the next command is able to happen and get accomplished, which is teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so that's why we know that maturity really doesn't happen when we're isolated doing our own thing. We can grow to a certain point, but really to grow to maturity, to really obey everything Jesus commanded happens in the context of relationships in the church. And so it's so important. And we have a tendency in our culture, we don't want to go super deep with anything. We struggle with that. And, and I do, and we all do. And I think it's just honest to admit it and say, hey, we got a problem here. Whenever we get whenever we start to grow deeper, right, get that depth, even in our marriage sometimes, we kind of pull away from it. We're scared of it. We don't trust ourselves. We don't trust others. And we're used to getting hurt and wounded, right? And we know we hurt other people. So we just go, no, let's just keep this thing. You know, but the problem with that is if roots don't go down deep, then plants don't mature. I mean, we just dug some trees out around the church to put our um, drainage system in. And we moved them out here into the field to the west, and it's like they kind of got a setback. You know, They don't look like they did. They kind of made it through, but they need, you know, they get stunted. And if we pull up a tree, if you're a tree or a plant, and every time before you get a chance to start putting down roots, you get transplanted to another place, another place. Sometimes that's, I don't know, relationships changing, right? We just do that. Then how will you ever grow to maturity? And so I think there's a good principle there in that it takes that willingness to go, to go down. And it's hard and it's touchy and it's difficult. But here at Mitchell Breen, I, I just see God over the last four years putting things together so that we can grow deeper. And, and I really think he's done it. Jesus is the head of the church, but there's this um, kind of uh, process, right? Different things that are going on that, that have created a place where you can grow. And I feel confident in that. I feel really good about it as a pastor. Like, you can grow here at Mitchell Breen. You can grow to maturity, okay? And that's not an easy task. Because maturity is to obey everything Jesus commanded. And what's the last command he gives to his disciples? go and make disciples. So I know if you've matured and I've done my job, you'll be making disciples. You'll be leading other people to Jesus, helping them grow. Like that's the measure of maturity. It's the last command. And so to grow, to do that is not easy. A lot of us don't. It's difficult and yet it can happen. And so at Mitchell Bream, we've got a number of things that are meant by Jesus to help you grow to maturity. One of them is our worship services, right? We come together, we worship God together, we sing together. That kind of connects us to each other. We hopefully hear a good sermon. It connects us together. We get some direction, guidance, but that's not enough. Then we have life groups, which are for fellowship, for the church, for Christians to fellowship with each other, build those bonds. In Acts 2, I think it is, they, the early church was devoted, right, to this depth of relationship. They, they, the apostles teaching, they get some teaching, like we have in our life group lessons, Right? Good lesson here, you get some teaching. Then we fellowship together, there's a gathering, there's a commitment to this group of people. And you can't commit to a thousand people or a couple thousand people who uh, in our database, but you can commit to a group. And so you need to, and so that creates an environment where you can go deeper. We're supposed to eat together and pray together. It's laid out in scripture. God's good, he gives us incentive to get together. He knows it might be hard. And so we get depth. Then we've got discipleship, which is, you know, learning... Um, to become a fisher of men. And so that involves uh, some classes that we have, 9.30 to 10.30. By the way, life groups, if you don't have one, six o'clock upstairs, Ken and Christina, Pastor Ken and Christina, teach that. Go through the lesson, you can be a part of that group. Um, And then discipleship classes, 9.30 to 10.30 on Sundays. And those are a little more intensive. Studying the Bible, getting more knowledge, which is part of growth. and And then we have our ministries that you can get involved in, learning to serve. And uh, we have really good ministries and good leaders, good leaders for our discipleship classes. And so there's all this stuff. God's put together a church where you can really grow. And I just want to call you to grow. You, You need to get close to God and then you need to stay close to God because that is what life's all about. And if you don't get close to God and stay close to him, you'll keep chasing the things in life that don't give, they don't even give happiness really. They don't fulfill you. You'll not know why you're here, what life's about. You'll not get it, and I want you to get it because in that, guess what gets better? <laughs> Everything you care about gets better because when you know who you are and you're walking with God, you have fellowship with him, fellowship with other believers, now your life has meaning, it has purpose, it has depth, and you need that, and I want that for you. And so if you don't know Jesus, if you've never met him yet, not sure he exists, maybe you, you say, yeah, yeah, I kind of believe in it, but you've never met him. I just wanna challenge you, go home tonight, and ask Jesus to introduce himself to you. Say, I need to meet you. I want to meet you. And then if you have met him and maybe you're not close to him right now, then maybe you need to take a step of some kind to take advantage of what's available to you. Doesn't have to be the things here at Mitchell Brain. I'm not, but you need those things in your life if you're gonna stay close to God. And so um, I just wanna call you to those things and encourage you in that direction because the love of God will change us and it does. And we go through times where it gets hurt a little bit, it gets damaged and and uh, trauma can do that. Maybe you feel a little numb like I did after we closed down the church, you're going through grieving. I mean, we have our 12 steps and CR ministry on Wednesday nights. It's a great place to get some healing so that you can kind of get that, sense of connection to God back um, we got places for your kids you know Juan is a great ministry help your kids get connected to God and our youth ministry those happen on Wednesday nights our Sunday school and all that we just have really uh, good things set up here and I just want to encourage you take advantage of those um, get close to God stay close to God um, you will not be sorry God thanks for your goodness to us and that you love us you want us to be close to you you want us to follow you And you really can change and transform us. I pray that you'd help us with that. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.